Pastor David Kaya of Empower One, we are so grateful to bring for you news from South Sudan and Sudan. Our mission is to reach the unreached people, both in Sudan and Sudan. Today, we have been praying for 30 years for God to open the doors for us to reach the nations and reach Sudan. But the door was closed. As I declare to you, as I speak, the door has been opened, wide open for us to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unreached people in Sudan and South Sudan. We are being called upon to take the cross of Jesus to the nation where for 30 years Christianity was illegal, but now it has been legal and the message of Christ is being waited for and the time is now that the message of Christ is needed now. The next about this, this has been the most similar face that you have seen. I want to say thank you. You have been with us since that day when I came to your church and stood in your church and spoke the biggest group ever which my organization Empower One has taken was your church. And you have helped us to reach the unreached. Today, God has opened a big opportunity in Sudan because of your partnership with us and your prayer. And I want to say this, Sudanese need to hear the gospel of Jesus. You've been with us and we want to continue doing the same work together and finish the task which God has put before us. May God bless you. Thank you. At the end of the year, we put the challenge in front of you to give, and um, we had so many things, our mission partners, um, so many opportunities that came before us, and one of the big ones was to help Empower One not only build a church, but to put in a water well, provide clean water. Um, they're seeking to meet physical needs so that they can have the opportunity to address the most pressing need, which is their salvation. And because of your generosity, church, uh, we've helped them in a huge way. And uh, right now they're constructing that well and uh, the gospel is going forth. And so thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to give, your generosity that continues to extend God's kingdom to the furthest corners of the, of the earth. If you're watching online, we're grateful that you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, I wanna encourage you to open them to, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're gonna look at verses one through 11 of Mark Chapter 12, Mark 12, verses 1 through 11. Mark 12, 1 through 11. Let me just set the context of this passage. Jesus has been teaching in the temple. He's days away from his death. He's headed for the cross. And as he enters Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, it's clear that he is presenting himself as the rightful king of Israel, the king who has come not to conquer the Romans, but the king who is humble, who has come to die for their sins. He's presenting himself as God's Messiah. You remember he takes ownership of a cult that is not his own. A cult upon which no one has ever ridden. You ever try to ride a horse that's never been ridden? It doesn't normally go well. But this cult recognizes his creator and submissively responds and gives Jesus a ride into Jerusalem. 
You remember Jesus curses a fig tree, symbolic of the nation of Israel, and the fig tree withers, demonstrating his power and authority over creation just as he had calmed the winds and the waves. And then he enters into the temple. And you remember he casts out the money changers, turns over the tables, and he lays ownership to the temple. You remember he comes right out and says it. He says, this is my house. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That Jesus presents himself as God's son. He lays claim to everything. The cult, the fig tree, the nation, the city, the temple, it's all his. The Jewish leadership, they've set themselves up as the authority. And now there's about to be a power clash. And they bow up to Jesus and they They ask him a question, who gives you the authority? Where do you get the authority to do these kinds of things? And the real issue, the real question, the ultimate question, the overriding question of this entire passage is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is God, then the fact of the matter is, it's all his. If he's God, he's the owner. And Mark here in his gospel is clearly presenting Jesus as God. And therefore, Jesus can do whatever he wants because he's the owner. And so they ask the question, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus answers their question with a question of his own about John the Baptist. And they don't want to answer that question because then they'd get in trouble. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to answer your question." And it appears, if you read it first glance, it appears that Jesus doesn't answer that question. But then Jesus tells a story. And in the story, he answers their question. In fact, he does more than answer their question. He tells them who God is. He tells them who he is. And he even tells them who they are. Even beyond this, he tells them the thoughts and intentions of their heart. He tells them what they're about to do in his impending death. It is one thing to tell a story. It's another thing to predict your own death. In this story, I submit to you this morning, it has a specific context, a specific audience. But listen to me this morning. In this story, we're all implicated. Jewish leadership that's hearing this, at the end of the story, they're gonna say, he was talking about us. We need to know this morning, he's talking about us too. We're all implicated here. And the overriding question is this that they had to deal with and we have to deal with is who is Jesus? Look with me at this passage. Look with me, Mark chapter 12, verse one. It says, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. They sent another and that one they killed and so with many others, beating some and killing others, he had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them saying, they'll respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and give the vineyard to others. 
Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief corner stone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Fathers, we come before you this morning, come before your word. We recognize this is your living word. This is not just some ancient text. This is not just some ancient story. This is God-breathed. It's your word to every one of us in this room today. And I pray for this moment, for this brief period of time, you'd help us to lay aside anything that's distracting us. Help us to focus attention on you and your word. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd make this word alive. So if there's anybody here today that's still undecided on Jesus, God, I pray that you would peel back the blinders so they would see Jesus as King, as Lord, as Savior, and Judge. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story that Jesus tells here, a very simple story, he doesn't give them this story in order to confuse them. He gives them this story to bring clarity, and it does. Very simple. Now, I want us to think about this story in terms of the casting, in terms of the characters. The first that we see is the owner of the vineyard, the one who plants the vineyard. The one who plants the vineyard is clearly being presented as God. He's the creator of the vineyard. And in this description of the owner, what stands out most of all is the goodness of God. What stands out most of all is the generosity of his provision. He plants the vineyard. He creates the vineyard. The, the, the tenants didn't create the vineyard. The tenants didn't earn the vineyard. He created it. God created it perfectly. He put a wall around it for their protection. He dug a vat under the wine press, a place that would hold the wine from the wine press. He provides the wine press itself and a tower that would be used for storage and, and shelter and a place to oversee the vineyard. The picture here is that God has provided everything needed. He has been incredibly generous. He has given them a vineyard that is fully furnished. He's left nothing out. Everything they need has been provided for. Now we understand specifically for that audience, Israel is this vineyard. And surely the hearers of this would have recalled Isaiah 5, where Isaiah calls Israel God's vineyard. But as I said earlier, we are all implicated here because in so many ways, this world is God's vineyard. And God has been in incredibly gracious in the provision of this world with the sun and the moon and the stars and the rain that falls, the plants and the vegetation that grow, the soil that is fertile, this earth that God has entrusted to us. It's overwhelmingly wonderful. In fact, the scriptures say the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Every astronaut that's left the earth's atmosphere and had the opportunity to look back down upon the world and the earth that God has made has always returned with an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder at the beauty of this world and earth. Now there are some who will say, well, I hear you, but what about all these natural disasters? And certainly we see the hurricanes that destroy the coast and take life, and we see the earthquakes that destroy, bring destruction, take life, and even more recently, we've seen these tornadoes in the video footage, and it's amazing, it's overwhelming. You see these huge, massive trees, and it's almost like they're just little toothpicks, and they get knocked over. God takes these big objects, and they're just thrown about like styrofoam cups. And we need to understand something. This world has certainly been affected by the fall of man. This world is broken. It's not as it was. This world is not as it 
will be. And every time, listen to me, every time we see one of these natural disasters in the world, it should overwhelm us with a sense of the fear of God. It should remind us of our own mortality, our own frailty, and a reminder to us to repent and make sure that our lives are right with our creator. But make no mistake about it, listen, God has been incredibly gracious in this creation. He's been good and generous, and I I don't know how you view God today. I don't know how you view God today. But listen to me, every good and perfect gift in your life, James says, comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. The air that you breathe in the morning is a gift of God's grace. The sun that rises is a gift of God's grace. The rain that falls is a gift of God's grace. The relationships you enjoy are a gift of God's grace. The children that you cherish, the grandchildren you love are a gift of God's incredible grace. God has been so gracious and generous towards us. So we see the goodness, the generosity, the grace of the owner, but then we see the vine growers. The vine growers are renters. Some of your translations will call them tenants. And that's us, that's man, that's you and I. We're tenants, we're stewards, we're not owners. And these tenants are given responsibility of working the vineyard that's been entrusted to them. They're to work and produce the fruit thereof and then to give back to the owner the portion that is rightfully his. And really, when you get down to the brass tacks of it, the only real obligation and responsibility of these tenants is to recognize the authority of the owner. They're to recognize his ownership by giving him what is rightfully his. It's not even necessary the amount that the the passage doesn't tell us. Because the real issue is there must be a recognition that they are merely tenants and he is the owner and they're to submit to his authority and his directions to obey him. And within this, it's amazing to me, within this they're given wonderful freedom. God is not pictured here as some kind of nagging owner. They're given time and resources and choices and relationships to do with whatever they want. It's amazing how much freedom they've been given within the the framework of submission to the owner. And all of us need to understand something very, very clearly this morning. This is God's world. God is the owner. He is the sovereign creator. There are only two types of beings in this world. There is creator And creation, God is creator. We are a part of his creation. And we're to recognize his authority. We're to submit to him, to obey him, to worship him, to give him the glory and the honor that is rightfully due him. But what do we see next? We see man's rejection. Man's rejection, these tenants, the tenants don't like the owner interfering in their operation. They don't like the owner interfering in their business. And here's the issue with these vine growers, and it's the same issue with so many people in the world. Listen to me, this is the issue. The issue is this, they're renters, but they begin to act like owners. They're renters, but they begin to act like owners. They begin to think that this is mine, that I am my own, and they begin to think I'm the owner, that I am God, and they take the freedom that God has given to them, and they use that freedom to deny God what is rightfully his. 
and they will either just deny God altogether or they will create a God. And isn't it interesting they tend to create gods that are okay with the lifestyle that they choose to live. So what's interesting to me, all the other, listen to me, all the other gods of this world, this world tends to be so tolerant with every other religion. You know the one, one two groups of people they tend to hate, Jews and Christians. They hate them. Why do they hate them? Because listen to me, only the one true God of Israel is a threat to their autonomy. No other God is a threat to their autonomy, but God is. See, if he's the sovereign owner, then we are his creation and we're to submit to him. And so they, these tenants, they begin to think they're the owner. And when you think you're the owner, you really don't like it when the true owner shows up and starts interfering with your business. See, the issue with these vine growers, the same issue of this world, we don't want God interfering in our lives. We resent his interference. We don't mind some benign God that'll bless our lives and give us what we desire. Oh, but we don't want a God who has a standard. And we don't want a God who starts telling us how to live. It's Psalm chapter two. Why do the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. This is the mantra of the world. We don't want God and we don't want Jesus telling us how to live. In fact, if you take this all the way back to the garden, it was the mantra of Satan to Adam and Eve. They listen, I know God told you not to eat that tree, but he's holding out on you. If you eat that tree, you'll become what? You become like God. And see, then you can do whatever you want to do. It's the rebellious longing of every sinful heart and more terrifying than this, it is the only mantra of hell. That I am my own. I can do whatever I want without repercussion. But what, what is most astounding in this parable is that in spite of man's rebellion, what do we see? We see incredible patience on the part of God. That the owner sends servant after servant after servant. Some they kill, some they beat. They all send, send all of them away empty-handed. But it, 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 the emphasis is that he just keeps sending servants. And specifically here to this audience, the, the servants would have been the prophets the prophets would bring the word of God to the nation. And if you look and study the Old Testament prophets, what was the overwhelming message of the prophets to the nation of Israel? Repent. Repent. Make your life right with your creator. Worship him. Submit to him. And yet what was the overwhelming response of the nation? Time and time again, apart from a remnant and, and specific times, on the, on the whole, the nation rejected God. And what is the overwhelming response of man's heart today? We don't want God. We don't want God or Jesus. And we hate these Christians who carry around these Bibles to remind us of God's law and his standard. Response of man has overwhelmingly been, even in spite of God's grace and patience, even in spite of the fact that God keeps blessing them with the sun that rises and rain that falls, keeps giving them air to breathe, and their message back to God is we don't want you. Now, here's the question. Here's the question that everybody in, you, everybody in this room has got to ask yourself today. If you were the owner and these were your renters, how would you respond? If you were the owner and these were your renters, how would you respond? 
Story goes of a teacher, Christian school. She had a third grade class. She divides her third graders into groups of five or six. She puts them into groups of five or six. And she gives them a piece of cardboard and some glue and some crayons. And then she gives them some Legos. And she says to them, create a world. Create a world. And these kids, oh boy, it's fun. They create little Lego people. And they put the cardboard. And they create mountains and trees and rivers and streams and lakes and green grass. Just beautiful. And then the teacher says, I want you to, I want you to create laws, how they should respond to one another and how they should respond to you. And so the kids, they write these little constitutions. Boy, they have fun writing out their laws, how you'd act towards one another and towards them. And then the teacher asked the question, now what would you do if those people you've created and been generous to, what if they, what if they just decided you don't exist? And they just cursed you and said, we don't care about your little laws. We're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to live however we want to live. And we're going to completely disregard you. And there was one little third grade girl. She rarely ever spoke. Her eyes got red and she said, we'd rip their legs off. <laughs> now, praise God, he's much more gracious than that third grader. God is gracious. God is incredibly, remarkably patient. I, 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 I love the way that Martin Luther put it. Martin Luther put it. He said, if the world had treated me as it has treated God, I would have kicked the wretched, vile thing to pieces. And what's more is that in the fullness of God's patience, this is overwhelming. That in the fullness of God's patience and love, you know what he decides to do? As a last resort, he sends his own son. His beloved son. Thinking to himself, surely they'll respect my son. And what happens? Well, the renters, they recognize. Make no mistake about it. They don't kill the son because they don't recognize him. They kill him because they do recognize him. They know who he is, he's the heir, and they think in their minds, if we can just get rid of the son, if we can exclude him, if we can kill him, then we'll become the owners ourselves. And so they took him, they killed him, they threw him outside the vineyard. And listen, all of this, all of this would come to fruition. All of it would come to fruition in just a few short days. They would take Jesus, God's son, they would kill him, they would crucify him outside the city on a hill called Calvary. And they mistakenly think they have won. And here's the mistake they make. They think that if they can exclude Jesus, they think if they can exclude God, then they can stop God from being God. And there's a lot of people making the same mistake today. They, they mistakenly believe that if we can just get Jesus out of our lives, stop talking about this Jesus, get God out of our lives, that God will stop being God. You know what Psalm 2, they say in Psalm 2, let's cast away their kids, cast away their cords from us. Do you know what it says God does in heaven? He who sits in the heavens laughs. Can you imagine these little creations that he's made? lifting their little wimpy arms and saying, we don't want you. And God says, that's funny. A lot of people mock God. They take God's name in vain. Sometimes I hear that I just want to shake a person and say, do you not fear God? You know what they do? They underestimate God. A lot of times they start to think that because God has not judged, maybe he won't judge you. 
I think that's the mistake of the tenants. They think, well, we've been killing all these other servants. We kill him. Nothing's happened so far. Maybe nothing will happen. And they mistake God's patience for a lack of follow-through. Listen, the only reason that God has not already poured out his judgment and wrath on this world is because God is incredibly patient. And he desires none to perish. How many of you are grateful that, that God didn't turn in judgment five years ago? How many of you are grateful that God didn't return in judgment 10 years ago because you had not yet repented and made your life right with your creator through faith in Jesus? God brings judgment here in verse nine. What will the owner do? He'll destroy the vine growers and give the vineyard to others. You wanna write out to the side something in your Bible? Write out this, you don't play games with God. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that which he will also reap. And what specifically happens here is that God will take Israel's Messiah, Israel's King, Jesus, and he will turn his attention to the nations and to a community of faith and believers, Jew and Gentile alike, known as the church, united under the authority of Christ. And they will become a part of his kingdom. And he will become their king and they'll become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that they might proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, you don't want him? I'll take him to some folks that do. But notice something, that's not the end of the story. This story has a wonderful ending. You're saying, Pastor, what in the world does this passage have to do with Easter? Here it is. Look at verse 10. Have you not read the stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone this came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes that in the goodness of God all this has occurred he's telling this parable to people in the city saying I know what you're going to do and you know what he's telling them I know what you're going to do and it's all part of God's plan that God would send his only begotten son into this world knowing that that son would die and he'd die on a cross not for his sins he would die for our sins he'd be a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins and he would be placed in a grave and on the third day as the ultimate affirmation that Jesus is God, that he is who he said he was. He was raised by the power of God on the third day to declare to the world that Jesus is king. Oh, and, and you know what? We look at this, and I love that last phrase, it's marvelous in our eyes. What kind of God is this that would send his only son to die and then turn it around to rescue lost sinners like you and me? You want to write a verse over this passage? Write John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Insert your name. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes and him should not perish, but have everlasting life. At the start of this, the overriding question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, I can tell you here, he has been declared with power to be the son of God through the resurrection from the dead. 
Paul believed he's God. He said he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. You know what God did? He took this stone that was rejected, said, you don't want him? That's okay. I'm going to use him as the chief cornerstone, and he'll become the key to the whole system. That anybody who runs to him would know his salvation so that no matter what happens in this world, they would know that because he won, they would win. Yesterday, we had a funeral service for one of our dear deacons, faithful man, Greg Milliken. Passed away. And on this side of glory, it's hard, but we know, we know that we know that we know that he is safe because he trusted in Jesus. Jesus is God, he is king, and know this, he is judge. God will not be mocked. You don't play games with God. And when it comes to Jesus, you've really only got one or two options. You either bend the knee to him as Lord. You submit all of your life. You don't hold back with Jesus. Because if he's God, he demands it all. Or, like this Jewish leadership, you bow the neck and you reject him. See, I, I really don't think, in my time of talking with a lot of people about Jesus... I don't think that most people reject Jesus because they don't understand. I believe they reject because they understand too well. That in my conversations with people, Jesus is God, he is king, he died on the cross for your sins, he rose on the third day verifying that he is God. And listen, I tell them, if you wanna know him, you gotta lay down your life, you gotta submit everything. And the question, I, Pastor, you, te you telling me I gotta lay it all down? You telling me I gotta lay down all my hopes, all my dreams, all my plans, everything? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because he's God. And far too many people will say, Pastor, that's just too much to ask. Now, first of all, let me tell you this. You lay everything down, but listen to me. What you gain in Jesus is far greater than anything you'll lay down. But let me also warn you of this. Whether you reject him or receive him does not change the fact that he is God. He's the key to the whole system. In 1939, there was a man named Igor Sikorsky. He perfected the concept of the helicopter. When he built it, he made the blades and the rotor and there was one nut that held it all together. And you made sure that you screwed that nut on tight because if that thing came loose, then the blades would separate from the rotor and the helicopter would fall out of the sky like a rock. So when they were putting it together, one of Sikorsky's mechanics was overheard as saying, we need to pray to Jesus because that nut holds the whole thing together. And in fact, it did. And it became known as the Jesus nut. 
because it was the point of integration. In fact, Jesus nut is now a technical phrase. You can find the definition on Wikipedia. I'll tell you, go look it up today. Here's the definition, Wikipedia. The Jesus nut, more recently in generic engineering, is the concept that is widened to include any single component of a system whose failure would cause catastrophic failure to the whole system. Listen to me today. Listen to me. Jesus is the point of integration. He is the way to God because he's in keeping with the truth of God and therefore he alone is the bestower of life. If you can tell me about another man who is God and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and was bodily dead and placed in a tomb and rose on the third day and we can't find his body because he sinned to the Father, he's alive. You got another guy like that? Tell me about it. But as far as I know, we're all going to die in here. Christ is going to return. You better know somebody that knows CPR. Somebody's going to have to bring you back. And I think I'm going to trust the one who conquered the grave. But I'm here to tell you today, if you do not, if you reject him, he's the key to the whole system. And your life will eternally end in catastrophic failure. Trust him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. You are God. We are not. We have rebelled and sinned against you, and yet in your love and your patience, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, your only begotten son. The beloved son is a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He's been confirmed as God through the resurrection from the dead. God, I'm praying today, if there's somebody here, they have enjoyed your blessings. They have enjoyed the air that you give. They've enjoyed the sun that rises and the rain that falls. They've enjoyed gifts and talents and abilities that you have given to them. They've enjoyed relationships and family, children. And yet they've never acknowledged you. They've gone about their lives pretending like you don't exist. Maybe even cursing you. God, your word says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. I pray that they would see your grace and your patience and your kindness in Jesus who came and died on the cross for their sins. I pray today you'd overwhelm them with your love. That it would be absolutely irresistible. And out of that love, they'd submit all of their lives. Acknowledging you as owner and king. And they would know the life that you so freely give by faith. By no act of their own, apart from believing in Jesus, your word says, whoever believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Lord, for those of us that do know you, it's so easy. I know it in my own heart to go day by day and begin to act more like an owner than a tenant to start to think that I'm my own. God, forgive us. 
every day we recognize the need to bend the knee and say, it's yours, Lord. It's all yours. Take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.